Thanks for downloading the 30th in our series of episodes of the C-Suite podcast that we are recording in partnership with the European PR agency Taito and their own Without Borders podcast, where we are interviewing leaders of unicorn companies to find out about the key issues, pain points, and challenges that startups face and how they can address them with a strategic approach to marketing and communications. My name is Russell Goldsmith. My co-host for this episode is Taito's senior partner, Holly Justice. And today we are thrilled to be joined online from New York by Michael Groninger, a CEO and co-founder of Block blockchain data platform Chainalysis. Founded in 2014, the company reached unicorn status in 2021 and is now valued at $8.6 billion. Welcome to the show, Michael. Can we start by you just giving us a bit of background to the company, but also if you want to just sort of talk through the area of business that you're seeking to disrupt? So I think the best way to, to look at Chainalysis is like, what is actually crypto in general? The entire crypto space is disrupting the world of finance, how we think about value and how value is being moved around. And the best way to, to think about how Chainalysis disrupt anything is actually to looking at that the entire industry is disrupting finance. I think it's, it's easy to look at this as the same way as we looked at in the internet in the early days. The internet and the companies on the internet, the companies on the internet are not disrupting anything. They just believe that the entire concept of the internet would disrupt how we think about communication, how we think about information in general. And then they blindly believed that if they built a company on top of that, they were going to be some of the biggest companies in the world simply because they had seen the futures as a future and were able to follow that in that direction. We're doing the same in crypto. We believe that every company in the world would become a crypto company. And for us to own all the data and how to best analyze the data will be like how you can guide everyone in the crypto space to, first of all, be able to safely transact in the crypto space, like do the right compliance and so on. If you're the public sector, do the right investigations, safe keep your countries and the citizens there. And finally, it's also about understanding the business intelligence. How do people react in the crypto space? What are they focused on? What do they want to do? And all of these things help companies. And as crypto grows, so does Chainalysis. And the nice thing about it is that when Chainalysis grows and offers new products, it also helps the ecosystem grow. So I think it goes very much hand in hand. And what we are doing is basically providing clarity and trust in, in the blockchain. And Michael, tell us a little bit about your personal entrepreneurial journey. I think, as, as I understand it, before co-founding Chainalysis, you were the co-founder of Kraken, a digital asset platform, but you've also had a decade of experience in managing big data projects. Tell me a little bit about your career history. Yeah, I think like since I was a kid, I always saw myself as an innovator. And I think that was the, the easiest way to understand what an entrepreneur meant that many years ago. And then coming out of university, the first thing I, I actually looked at was um, virtual reality and building distributed computing platforms to do virtual reality. Many years ago, before VR was cool, I would put it that way. I'm not, not sure it is cool today, but it actually, it actually was, at least there was a time where it wasn't. So, so then after that, I got into uh, to other parts of distributed computing and data ended up being probably the passion of what I'm doing because... At the end of the day, data is growing way faster than anything else. The amount of data that we need to analyze and look at and so on is growing and growing. But also the opportunity of analyzing that is huge. So the ability to look at data and, and gain insights looking at it has always been really big. So some of the stuff I spent a long time on back in my days before crypto was uh, like analyzing data for high energy physics projects or physics in general. There was a lot of big science projects worldwide. I was in Europe at that time. And was, uh, for example, part of the 
Large Hadron Collider project at CERN, analyzing data there. And again, what we did there was basically moving around petabytes of data to different compute centers, enabling researchers to analyze them. I ran a company around that. So it's like, again, big data was, was a big part of that. And then when, when I kind of stopped working in the, in the public, semi-public space, public sector space, I really wanted to, uh, to do something else because, again, I was bitten by this bug around like innovating, building something yourself, and could kind of see that the best way to do what was probably build a, a private company. And I, at the same time, stumbled over, over crypto. There was Bitcoin back then. It was like 2011. And I was intrigued by this new technology. It was clearly a paradigm shift in computing. And it was also something that could become a mega trend at the size of, of the internet. So I was very intrigued by it. So I like dabbled around in doing crypto, coded some of it, was part of like building the early things in Bitcoin, doing other things there. So did a lot of stuff on, on the core crypto side and then figured out how do you build a business around this? And Jesse um, asked me if I wanted to join the early team at, at Kraken on that front. And I was like, this sounds fun. I don't know anything about finance, but let's do it anyway. And uh, I did so, and it was a really fun journey in the, in the early days there. But I also think that the industry was transforming and growing a lot. So it became clear to me that there was actually a path from what I did in the past and what I really have my expertise in, big data, and a company that didn't exist at that time, which was basically indexing and understanding all the data that is in the crypto space as it was growing. So that became my passion. And I simply had to leave Kraken to, uh, to build analysis for that purpose. And you know, bringing us up to date, I mentioned in, in the intro that the company is now valued at 8.6 billion. So if I've got this right, there's a, that was the latest funding round of uh, a Series F funding of $170 million in May. So that's doubled your post money valuation. Obviously, that's got a lot of merit, you know, it demonstrates, you know, the market's confidence in, in what you do. What would be great is just to understand what the focus is for you, you know, for the next 12 months, what's next for chain analysis, where's some of that money going to be used, you know, in terms of investment back into the business? It's a great question. So I think there's two things about crypto that that's really important and really drives how we are spending our funds. Number one is that like everything changes all the time. There's a lot of innovation happening in the crypto space. So it means that we need to be deep in the product side and innovate there all the time. So we build products like Storyline and Playbook that's being released over these two quarters, like that are half of this year, enabling investigations into smart contracts, into like how DeFi actually works. So spending a lot of time and effort in really building the right tools and structured products around the DeFi space. The other piece is um, on the business intelligence side, Playbook, which is another product that we are really focused on building and getting to the market there. So these are like some of the big things there. The other thing that's permeating like the crypto space, it's that it's global. Crypto is everywhere and it's like born as being global. And it also means for a company like ours, we need to focus not just on one jurisdiction, on one country, but globally. So we've been growing our footprint in terms of sales and marketing all over the globe. We are in, I think, around 70 countries today in terms of, uh, of sales. So really starting to grow there. And some of the countries that where we see sales started to grow and so on, we need to be there with not just one or two people, but oftentimes with a team. So a lot of growth is, is part of that. And that's basically the investment for, for Chainalysis. And just coming back to the topic of leadership for a minute, Michael, are there any individuals that have had kind of a, a really great impact on your development as a leader? And if so, who are they and why? 
Wow. Yes. I would say there are many individuals that had an impact on me as a leader. And I think that I learned the most about leadership from discussing with other leaders and trying to understand like how they're doing things and what they have tried and so on. I could le- mention many different leaders on, on this front here. I would say it would be anyone from like Todd at Pendo, Manny at, at Outreach, which are like people that I talk to quite often. So that's that's some of them. But there are a lot of other leaders out there, also from earlier companies, people who exited before that I, I keep in my network because I usually believe that like we see some of the same things, we see them at the same time. And as the companies grow, we learn a lot from doing so and what to do and what not to. So I would say many leaders have uh, have influenced what I, how, how my leadership style is and what I think is important. A nice diplomatic answer there, Michael. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine leading a a hugely successful company like you've done requires some quite exceptional leadership skills for both you and also the team that you've got around you. What would you say is your greatest strength? And then what are some of the main strengths that the management team at Chainalysis have? So I think if I start with myself first in in this front, I would say it's, it's really about empathy and trying to understand the problems in a business and the problems of the individuals that they are trying to solve and getting deep into that. And I think at the same time, what, what I'm kind of the only person who, who has the remit of doing in a company is like, I have the responsibility of everything in the end. So I need to kind of ensure that the priorities are right, that we look at it the right way and bring that into the different departments and bring that prioritization into the different minds of the different people there. So I think my skill set is a lot of, it's a lot about communication. It's a lot about like trying to understand the different areas. I'm no expert in sales. I'm no expert in, in how to run a product function at that scale that we have today, but I can talk to the people there and like build the connections there. And then I would say I have a skill set in going from helicopter view and all the way down to the microscopic view and being like, let's look at the actual problem. That's a problem there. So I usually like when people present a problem to me, it's like, but that's the actual problem. I don't want all the big speak. Let's talk about the minor thing, even though it's a technical sales thing. So it's uh, something on the compute platform, whatever it is, I'm usually like all game for that challenge and trying to understand it there. On our management team, I hired a series of very, very strong leaders on our management team over the last 18 months. And they all come from backgrounds from other companies that got unicorn status, some of like $100 billion companies today. Some of them have probably been behind building some of the biggest successes in SaaS software. And what I learned from them is, first of all, from all of the experience, from understanding what are the problems that you just, that are not really problems, but something that will solve themselves over time that you shouldn't obsess about. And what are the things that actually worth focusing on? What is the time it takes to build things? What is the timescales involved? Because I think it's easy to be naive at like seeing at scale at the first time. It's like, well, we can do it tomorrow, but we can't. But it also doesn't matter that it's not done tomorrow. Sometimes it's fine that it takes time because it takes time for everyone. So I think that like a lot of these things are stuff that I've learned from uh, my leadership team. How difficult was it to convince those people to come from like if, they, if they've you know built successful or been part of a successful building of a company already and you're now getting them to come back to almost start you know that journey again? How, how easy was it to convince them to come over? I think it was a very interesting process because a lot of this was uh, was quite humbling. I remember jumping on the first uh, call with some of them and being like, wow, uh, no chance I'm ever going to hire them. <laughs> and then after thinking about it for a while, I'm like, I actually really want to hire them because that would be transformative for the company. And then going all in and basically telling them why 
I think that this is a very unique company that we are building. It's not one of many. It's it's the only one in the space. And what we are doing is truly like an iconic company. That's something unique. And I think that bringing them onto that story, winning kind of their hearts and minds on the idea of what we're doing at Genalysis has really been a core part of it. But it was not easy. It was like a lot of conversation, a lot of, a lot of discussions, and also building the trust for them that what I was that I'm doing in Genalysis is a big thing that I have the ambition to get us there and and all of that. And uh, yeah, that was um, definitely a good challenge. Excellent, Michael. Key focus of the discussions that we're having is is around communication and culture. So one of the first things I wanted to ask you, actually, and it's interesting you're talking about bringing people on who were, you know, at previous companies that had been already reached unicorn status, because one of the questions we've asked all our leaders is, is how the perception of your business changed when you reached unicorn status uh, yourselves. I think that the perception does change. I think one of the things that happens internally in the company is like, wow, this is real. Kind of just, just like, wow, this is real. It's kind of on a journey where you know that this is actually something that will become something big and is already at that time. So I think that's a big part of it. I think in the perception of others is also that you, it's probably somewhat the same, right? Basically, they would look at the company and say, this is one of the real companies I can join. It's on a growing trajectory. It's very promising. It's being talked about in a certain way. And I think that that also enables you to, first of all, as I mentioned before, make certain high profile hires that would be hard to make otherwise. I think another piece of this is the perception from your customers where it's like, okay, they're actually going to stick around for a while. We trust them as a company and can see that they have the, the size where it makes sense to really work with them and, uh, and dive deep here. And I think that's another perception that changes in, in that capacity. And finally, it goes for all the hires. When you hire people, it also means that everyone that joins the company looks at the size, the valuation, the scale, the, the future of the company. And it will be like, this is probably less scrappy now than it's been in the early days. And it means that now I'll have a career path to understand like how to talk about benefits and other things. So it's like a real company in many ways. And I think that that has opened the door for talent that would otherwise be hard to access. And sticking with the communications theme then in terms of now that you've, you are established, how, how are you going to differentiate yourself within the marketplace? Because it's quite... You know, it's certainly within the, the tech industry, you know, there's a lot of, um, it, you know, it's quite crowded, obviously, space. So, yeah, how, how are you going to differentiate yourself in that respect? So I think there's a couple of unique things about analysis that's actually helped us uh, differentiate over the, over the years. And I think that one of them is that what we are building is, like, unique. So we're not one of many. We're not operating in a red ocean. We're basically building the market for ourselves and growing the TAM by every day and like working with new customers. So I think that's always intriguing to be part of because that's not that many companies that does that. Usually you have a, a better version of something and then you disrupt the market and it's very simple to understand mm. what you're better at and selling that way. So I think that's one piece. The other piece is that what we are doing is very mission driven. So if you look at some of our customers we have, we have like around 150 public sector customers in 35 countries in the world. And all of those, they are there to keep society safe, to keep the nation state safe, to protect them. Anything from like terrorists to, to like nation state actors and other things. So it's largely mission driven and ensuring that you can gain the trust of, of uh, that kind of institutions. And that has a lot of serious work that's involved there. And that's, that's a huge part of our culture 
to really deliver high quality data and be humble about what we are doing and, and building trust in our relationships all the time. I think that's been a core part of, of the cultural drive and like how we are how we are working with the, the customers and, and internally as well. And you've touched on there uh, on culture there just very briefly. How would you describe the culture at Chain Analysis and, and what have you done to kind of foster and nurture that? I think it's mission driven. People are there like with a purpose. I think everyone are there with a purpose because they see that getting better understanding of crypto, indexing it, understanding what's going on in the crypto space will actually grow the space and, and make this world a better place. I think that's like one of the things that, that people clearly believe in in the company and that's an important piece. I also think that, that cultural wise, there's a little bit of an academic side to things where like understanding and knowing things about the blockchain drives this curiosity. So there's definitely a curious side to the company as well. And then people who know me, they usually say, you always say that it has to be fun. And it has to be fun. It needs to be fun to work and it needs to be part of that. And I think that I always promised everyone that I hired that this is going to be a fun journey. So I think that's another part of it. It's like, it has to be inspiring. You need to get to know a lot of very interesting people and what we're doing is fun. So I think these are like the, the three main things. Nice. And going from the topic of fun to the topic of the economic outlook at the moment, Michael, which is pretty uncertain to put it one way. Are you looking at adjusting your communications approach at the moment in order to kind of maintain that level of confidence in the company? Yes, I think what happened in the markets, if you look at like 2021 to 2022 or three, is that like in 2021, a great company were a company that was, was basically growing like crazy and nothing else. Nothing else really mattered but growth because access to capital was very, very easy. Raising money was super easy and it was cheap. It hardly costed any dilution. So it's like the, the main focus last year was growth. If you now look going forward, we are kind of back to maybe something that was the narrative five, 10 years ago, where it was more like, you need to have a path to profitability. You need to understand like how you build efficiencies into the company. You need to do that. And I think that's very much like how Chainalysis was born. Like you're born out of a crypto window. The space was really hard that time. It was almost impossible to raise our seed round. So I'm just saying that like we've been used to that kind of scrappy growth, to put it that way, but still growing. So I think what we have changed in terms of, of communication is clearly that we focus right now much more on efficiency, cautious, sustainable growth of the business and ensuring that we do that with the mindset of, of becoming profitable at some point. So I would say that's a change in communication, but I think it's basically from the change that's happened in the in like how you, you value companies today. This is just like how it is to be a great company of today and tomorrow. And can you share any approaches to internal communications at Chainalysis that have worked particularly well for you guys? Yeah, I think what we like to do internally is to share as much as we can. So we, we keep a very open culture. We like people to know what's going on and is on the mind of the leadership team, where the company is headed and sharing those things. So that's a core part of it. I think also access to the, to the C-suite, access to me is another important part where I'm always happy to do a coffee walk with people and like say, hey, I want to chat this thing through. I think there's a thing about communication that is that one thing you can say public in a big room and it's very simple, but it also becomes very, everything is very easy to misunderstand. So there's many nuances you can't really get out that way. And that's why this like communication through leaders, through managers is an extremely important thing. And also the access to me, to the C-suite, 
is important where, where employees will have that access and ability to raise questions, have a conversation where it's not like 200 people in a room, but basically just a one-on-one. So I think these are like key pieces of communication to keep like the different layers going all the time and understand the different parts where, where they matter. How are you managing to achieve that as you, like you mentioned before about growing into, I think you said 70 different countries now, whatever it might be. So yeah, are you doing regular online calls with the team? Are you using collaboration tools? Does every new employee get to engage with you in some way, shape or form? Yeah, so actually I do still do onboarding for everyone. So once a month, I onboard the latest cohort of Genalysis people and um, that's going on. I like to do that in person. It means that I present like something about the company. It always changes slightly uh, from, from month to month. And people have the opportunity to ask questions, to chat with me. I have office hours once a week where people can jump on, on a call with me. Or usually what I prefer is if I meet them in person, I would go for a coffee with them or something like that. So that's typically their interaction. At scale, we are like more than 700 people today. So it's a lot of people and it's a lot of people who got hired the last year. We did all hands event in DC a couple of months ago where we were at that time like 650 people or so in one room. It was great to meet everyone. And I think that was a core part of like building for, for the next coming years to have the ability to see everyone in person. I love that part and we'll probably do it again at some point. It's not happening yearly. It's probably happening like less than that, but but it's still important to have the opportunity to see everyone, I think. Yeah, that's great. And, and what about in terms of your role as the external spokesperson kind of face of the business? How do you view that? Is, is there anything that you've learned along the way in terms of being that face of the company? I would say so, yes. I think there's a couple of things that I, that I, that I learned from that side. I would say, first of all, and it goes in all communication, if you want to state something, you, you need to tell the story differently because you can't just say whatever. If you're a crypto exchange or an exchange or bank, you would say your money is safe. As soon as you say your money is safe, everyone is like, were they not safe for a minute? What happened? So as soon as you like point people in a certain direction, they go nervous around the topic that you're talking about. So, so I'm always focused on like, how do you build trust? How do you say the bigger picture? What is the bigger picture of things? And then people will form your own conclusions. You cannot tell them whether it's A or B or whether it's blue or red. You have to tell them like all the, include them in the journey and do that all the time. So I'm doing that also in external communication, doing that internal communication. Being the spokesperson is like a big responsibility. And I think that's, that's, that's just part of, of, of my job. So I enjoy it, I have to say that. But before we started recording, I should mention that for, um, for, that, for our listeners and viewers, we, you, you mentioned that you moved over from Denmark sort of 10 years ago to, to New York. Is there a difference in the way that you or businesses communicate externally from there to, to where you are now? Yeah, I think so. I think, first of all, like everything is faster and there's just like and bigger in, in the US compared to Denmark. Denmark is like a country of five, six million people, I think. And is is a, is a part of Europe, and is again, I think from from that point of view, everything is smaller, and it is moving slower, of course, because that's just how it is in a smaller country. And I think what's also there is that the audience for a podcast like this, or for people talking tech and so on, it's definitely smaller there, but also hasn't really the same critical mass as it does in the U.S. So I think that that changes because there's so much people focused on. What are the companies that you are building? What are the number of people that you have hired? How, how did you hire them? What are the problems around that? 
And I think you don't get the same focus when you have like smaller uh, ecosystems like Denmark. So that's clearly like something that I that's been a change, and and I enjoy that change. I like the pace. Well, I was going to say you're you're clearly comfortable in this kind of environment. Have you always been a natural communicator, or have you had to kind of practice at it, formulate a plan? So I think that I would say I always enjoyed communicating, and I probably had my own style all the time. I'm much better at improvising than at preparing. And I would say in the journey of becoming a better and better communicator, I had a couple of times where I got advice to like, let's try to practice this first. Let's do this like for real. And it just doesn't work. I, I simply need to be like, I tell a story in my way and then people can like work something around that. And we can kind of hone in on what's the pieces of the story that doesn't work, but trying to present more like being very, very over-prepared on a story. It just doesn't work for me. And I, I kind of learned that over the years that I need to somewhat improvise. And that's how I, I kind of like to have these communications. I think that's part of like making them fun. It's interesting you say that, the idea of it's, it's better if you improvise in those situations. I wonder if there's been a, another kind of communications challenge that you faced personally along the journey. And if so, what was it? And then how did you overcome it? I think there's a couple of times where, for one reason, I think the first time I um, we were at Accelerator early on in Genalysis, and I was like doing an opening pitch the first day of the Accelerator opening with Techstars Accelerator. And I think it was like we had 90 seconds and or maybe three minutes, something like that. And one of the challenges around 90 seconds or three minutes is like, it's too short to improvise. You basically don't have enough time to like, go on a tangent, do other things that's there. So you actually need to just say something. And it's also long enough. So it's just just like a one-liner that you can go up on the stage and basically just repeat. So you kind of need to rehearse that. I find that hard. That was really hard to kind of build a story and a narrative that you just start saying and continue to do that. And I jumped back to that a couple of times where we tried to say like, let's do, as I mentioned before, a full kind of story that I'm going to, to to speak and it's kind of scripted. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at like super scripted stuff. I just have to have the space to say, let me tell the story my way. And today, the way might be different than yesterday. And some of the things that the former speaker said or the audience is reacting to and so on needs to be included. And I can only do that like partly improvising. So I would say the hard parts have been when I when I try to go scripted. That's not that's not me. Michael, this has been Really interesting and uh, fascinating conversation. Thank you again for for putting the you know giving up some time to to chat to us. We've got one final question for you, which we've asked all of our unicorn CEOs, and that is: if you were to go back in time and speak to your old self, what guidance would you give yourself about communications? It's probably not that different from the same advice that I keep forgetting today. When you communicate, you need to over communicate. When you said it three times, you probably need to say it three times more than that. It's like really a, a huge part of communication is that the receiver is like from another part, looking at it from another, another viewpoint. And for them, it's really, really hard to understand what you're saying and actually remembering that all the time and over communicating is probably my biggest advice there. Excellent. Michael Groniger, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and, uh, and chat with us. Really enjoyed it. Likewise. Thanks. Holly, thoughts on what Michael had to say? What an interesting chat. Mm. One of the things that I particularly liked about chatting with Michael just then is just how kind of well aware he was of himself and his leadership strengths and weaknesses. Like that's 
vitally important, I think, as you build a, a leadership team around you and a, and a company. And I loved how he was able to articulate kind of what he's learned on the journey around having to lead with empathy, knowing that his comm style is is best suited to improvisation rather than practice. But but for me, one of the things that I'll definitely take away from that is their approach to internal communications at Chainalysis and how, yes, it's important to do those big town hall meetings, but actually they're still finding ways to make sure there's those one-on-one kind of management leadership conversations happening with people across the business, even as they they grow and expand internationally to so many countries, because there are those important nuances, aren't there, when it comes to communicating messages that you need to consider. And quite easily, we, we all just fall back on, let's tell everybody the same thing at the same time. But actually, those, those one-to-one communications are just so vital to the successful growth of a company. Yeah, once again, Almost consistent with the, with most of the if not all of the people we've in, we've we've chatted to, you know, you've got an eight point six billion dollar business led by a guy that seems really grounded, yeah. very easy to get on with, you know, very chilled, really nice guy. Yeah. That was um, very enjoyable conversation. That's it for this latest episode in our special series with Taito. So if you do want to find out more about Chainalysis, their website is very simply chainalysis.com. We'd love to hear your comments on today's chat. You can do that by sharing them on our Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter feeds, or you can obviously comment in the comments section of the YouTube version of this podcast. Those are all linked from the top of our website at csuitepodcast.com, where you will also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes, plus links to where you can follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via the likes of Spotify and Apple. And if you've liked what you heard, uh, please do give us a positive rating and review. We're, of course, available on all podcast apps. Just search for the C-Suite podcast, hit follow or subscribe. You can also subscribe to the Without Borders podcast from our partners at Taito. All the details for that are on their website. Just head to taitopr.com and click on the podcast link in the top nav bar. Whilst you're there, you can also download a copy of Growing Without Borders, the Unicorn CEO Guide to Communication and Culture. It's an overview of the first 15 of our unicorn interviews about time you did another one now holly now this was number 30 so yeah maybe there'll be a second edition of that to come but yeah you can download it from the website Uh, as i said it's uh, an overview of those first 15 uh, unicorn interviews if you are a unicorn leader yourself and you'd like to be part of the series please do get in touch via the contact form on the website at csuitepodcast.com plus of course anyone can get in touch with any feedback you may have and finally you can also reach me uh, via twitter using at ross goldsmith or you can find me on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.